Welcome to Landmark Worship Center's audio podcast. We hope that this message will inspire and encourage your life. So open your heart and mind and receive what God has for you today. We'll do a little review from a couple weeks ago and then we'll continue on with our, with our study here. Um, we talked about the, the transition of Adam and Eve from a, a situation of innocence. They had been in a place of innocence and they had sinned against God. They became sinners. And so they had transitioned from innocence to being sinners and it had proved to be a major issue for them, a, a big problem. A lot of problems had arisen for them. One of the most pressing problems for them uh, had appeared to them had become this issue of their nakedness, their openness, their exposure. And they were uncomfortable as they were being exposed to one another for the very first time and exposed to others. And they were exposing themselves to the scrutiny that can accompany that process. We talked about that none of us really enjoy being scrutinized by others. We don't like other people judging us, looking at us, sizing us up and making decisions and judging us. And unfortunately, we all do it. We all do it. But we don't really like having it done to us. And so we really shouldn't be involved in doing that to others as well. But Adam and Eve are coming to this point where they're the first ones to experience this process of judging one another. And so they don't like what they see, and so they come upon this solution to their problem, and it was the the covering of themselves with fig leaves. They either wove them together, they, somehow the Bible says they sewed them together, they fastened them together some way, and they made themselves aprons or coverings for themselves out of these fig leaves. And so this they did in order to manage to close themselves off from one another by this means of this artificial barrier which they had constructed uh, to help them be cordoned off from the prying eyes of others so that they would be less likely to be judged. We mentioned that there was a study done years ago that talked about the correlation between how we dress and our emotions and our feelings. And according to this study that was done, the way we dress is a reflection of how we feel. But there was also another uh, example that that came out of this, and that was not only do we dress how we feel, but the way we feel can be changed by the way we dress. And, you know, this was a study that was done years ago, like I said, but this is something that's evidenced in the Word of God way back here in Genesis. We're seeing it for the very first time. We're finding out where it originated. And it started way back in the beginning with Adam and Eve. And this dilemma that Adam and Eve encountered, it reveals to us that they now believe that they could fix their problem that they had made on their own. They felt like now they had the knowledge and the understanding that they could correct their mistake on their own that they could fix the problem and make it go away 
because they had the ability to figure it out. And I know we don't do that because we're smarter than that, right? Guilty here. I still try to fix things that I have no business trying to fix. I still find myself making messes of things that I really have no business tampering with when the really the correct response would be, God, I need your help in this because I can't figure this out. But I got a little stubborn streak in me and, you know, I just, I don't want to let it go sometimes and I'll get myself in a bigger mess and wind up being so much worse off than if I would have just taken it to God in the first place. I'll have to wind up taking it to him anyway. It would have been better off, and I'd save myself a lot of heartache and headache if I'd have just taken it to him in the first place. But, you know, we just got to gotta fiddle with it. And that's, that's where it came from. It came from our predecessors, Adam and Eve. It started with them. We get it honestly. It goes all the way back to the beginning. We are not capable of fixing some things on our own. We just can't. Adam and Eve are going to find that out. We talked about the way that God approaches his two kids who've messed up in this major way. Revealing to us how different God is from us, thank God, in the way he approaches his erring kids. Thank God that God doesn't think like we do. Thank God that he doesn't respond to our stupidity the way that we do to one another. God is so different, and we better be very, very thankful that he is. Because as we saw, when God approached this problem, he did not change the way he came to them. He came the exact same way he always came. He came to them with the same purpose in mind that he always came to them with. He was just looking for some fellowship. He was looking to connect with the two that he loved. And as God came to have this connection with Adam and Eve, the way it reads, it would seem to be that God was totally in the dark about this whole process that had taken place. He's asking questions he already knows the answer to. You ever do that with your kids? You know what? There is a... There is a, a, uh, a principle that lawyers use, and that is you never ask a question that you don't know the answer to. Because it can get you in trouble. And as parents, we make good lawyers because we pretty much already know the situation, but we ask questions that we already know the answer to. And here is God 
who appears to be totally oblivious to what's going on around him, who starts asking questions that he already knows the answer to. I can relate to that. He already understands what's going on, what's happened. And yet he approaches them in that, he approaches them with that concept, with that attitude that I need them to see this. I need them to understand what they've done. And so even though God knows what took place, he plays along with them. It's like a detective trying to figure out the story even though he already knows how it's going to end. And so, even though God had the right to pass judgment upon them in that very moment that he faces them, he chooses not to do so. And, and, and there are people in our world today who believe that God enjoys hammering people. That God cannot wait for somebody to mess up so that he can get in there and just beat him down. I'm here to tell you that's not God. That's not him. That is not the way he is. That's the way some of us are sometimes, but that's not God. He already knew the whole story. He had witnessed the entire event. You can't keep anything from God. He already knows. He already understands. And yet God comes and he offers them the benefit of the doubt. Even though he knows, he still offers us the benefit of the doubt. He still gives us a chance. Even though he knows we're wrong. That's awesome. We, we need to take advantage of that when that happens in our life. That's how tremendous God is to us. Thank God for that. Thank God for that. The, the next two verses, verses 10 and 11 of chapter 3 in Genesis, uh, they provide us a, a little bit of a dialogue between God and those two guilty kids of his who've been uh, messing up. And they provide us a little bit of insight. And we want to we take a look at those two verses uh, here just for a little bit this morning. So if you will, turn with me to Genesis chapter 3, verses number 10 and 11. We're going to read those this morning. Probably driving you crazy too. Let me turn it this way. Maybe that's better. All right. <laughs> that's annoying, isn't it? It is. It gets annoying. You know, that's one of the things as I get older, stuff like that. It used to never bother me at all, but anymore, it's getting to the place where it gets on my last nerve. And I don't like that, but I, I can't help it. It just bugs me. All right, so we got that taken care of. All right. All right, let's read uh, 
Let's read Genesis chapter 3, verse number 10. Okay, this is after the Lord has come and, and called Adam uh, while he's looking for him and asked Adam, where art thou? Verse number 10 says, And he said, I heard thy voice in the garden, and I was afraid, because I was naked, and I hid myself. That wasn't the question that God asked him. God asked him, where are you? And Adam felt the need to share more than what God had asked. You know what that is? That's a sign of guilt. (laughs) I'm, I'm just telling you. When we are guilty and somebody asks us a question, whenever you offer more information than what was asked, that's a good indication that you're guilty. People that interview in, in, the, uh, in the affair, if a detective comes, a, a police officer or whatever, and they start interviewing you about certain things, and they ask you questions, if you're not guilty, don't offer more information than what they're asking, because it'll make you look like you're guilty, because that's what they're trained to pick up on. We can't help ourselves. If we're guilty, we just got to prove we're not guilty by talking more. And that's exactly what Adam does here. God just asked him, where are you? All Adam would have had to say is, I'm over here. But he doesn't. He goes into this long spiel. Well, you know, uh, we, we were uh, listening in the garden, heard your voice and calling, and, and all of a sudden uh, we got afraid because we were naked, and so we came over here and we hid ourselves. God didn't ask him all that. He's guilty, and he's trying to cover it up. That's where we get it from. (laughs) That's nothing new. That's from way back in the beginning. I'm, I'm telling you, this book tells us who we are. When you read these pages, you will see yourself in here. You can't help it. It's who we are. It's who we've become because of things that's happened in the past. Not our past, but happened in the past of our species. We can't escape it. It's who we are. And that's how it began. That's how we became who we are. That's why we do some of the foolish things we do. And it's here for us. We can see it. So, Adam admits that he had uh, heard the voice of God and he had become afraid. Adam had never been afraid in his life. But he was afraid when he heard God. So afraid that he went and hid because of his nakedness. He didn't want to see God in his exposed condition. We're the same way. When we become exposed because of sin, 
we don't want to be in God's presence. It's uncomfortable. It makes us afraid to be in the presence of God. Even though God gives us no reason to feel that way. It's all in our heads. I'm telling you, folks, it's all in our heads. It doesn't exist. And that's where fear lives most of the time, in things that could be, but they never really exist. How many of us have ever been fearful of something happening, and it never happens? You live in fear. It will grip you for days thinking, man, this, what if this happens? What if that happens? And, and this is going to go on and this. And you weary yourself down and you, you, you just destroy yourself because of fear that never happens. And that's one of the fears that's going to never happen in our lives, folks. We shouldn't be afraid of God. Not even when you mess up. Not even when you sin. Don't be afraid of God. You don't, he doesn't want you to be afraid of Him when you sin. Hard for us to understand that. Hard for us to believe that. But it is the truth. Don't be afraid of God. Run to Him. Don't run away from Him because you're afraid of Him. Don't be afraid of God that way. They don't know that. They run away from God. So after God's listened to Adam explain the reason behind his having hidden from God when he heard God's voice moving upon that morning breeze, it evokes yet another question from the lips of God. God's the interrogator here. He's, he's trying to get down to, to the truth. He knows the truth. But he's just trying to, you know, get down to the truth now to make Adam face the truth so God asks another question here hold on a minute Adam now just who was it exactly who told you that you were naked I didn't tell you that you were naked Eve didn't know that you were naked and you didn't know that you were naked who told you that you were naked. So now here's Adam. He's got a dilemma. How's he going to answer this question? He wasn't prepared to answer that question. Because this is the point where God begins to zero in on the trouble spot with his kids. God has a way of knowing how to zero in on the trouble spots in our lives, doesn't he? We can try to hide it from him, but it doesn't do us any good. He can zero in on it pretty quick. And God's not wasting any time here. He's zeroing in on, on what's going on here. And it reminds me of parents who, who sometimes, uh, they, they will do that when one of their kids has done something and attempted to cover it up. It becomes a step-by-step -step progression. Parents are good interrogators especially when they know what's going on. Now, if you're in the dark, it becomes a lot harder, but if you know what's going on, you can become a great interrogator. And it's a step-by-step -step progression that moves toward a conclusion of the whole matter. 
And that is, of course, simply the establishing of the actual truth of the situation. Because it's vitally important that the truth comes out. And when you've done something wrong, that's the last thing you want, is the truth to come out. We want to hide it. But you see, we can't be helped as long as the truth remains hidden. That's why it's so important that the truth comes out, and that's what God knows. And so we're seeing here a side of God that's important for us to understand. Why is God wanting to get to the truth? So he can hammer them? So he can laugh in their face and say, got you now. That's what some people think. That's not how God, that's not his point. He wants to get to the truth so he can help them deal with it. And we as parents, we, we do basically say, if you're a good parent, you want to get to the truth. Why? So you can beat them? No. So you can help them make the necessary changes so that it doesn't happen again. And you can't do that if the truth never comes out. Before the remedy can be prescribed for the perpetrator, the correct diagnosis has to be reached. And in order for that to happen, the transgressor has to be brought face to face with the truth of his or her role in the actual events of the misdeed. They have to be awakened to what they've done. It has to happen. And I don't believe that Adam had an answer for God on this question of how he knew that he was naked. He would be lying to God if he said that someone had told him because nobody had told him. And if he said that he had just become aware of the fact, then God would know what had happened. This is, this is like one of those questions that Jesus asked, right? There's no good answer. Because if you answer either way, he shoots you down in flames. There's, there's no way you're going to answer this and come out alive, you know? He's got you. A simple question, and yet... He's got him. He's got, no, he's got no wiggle room on this one. He's got nowhere to go. He can't answer the question. Just like the Pharisees said, well, we can't answer that question. Well, they could answer it. They just chose not to because God had them. Don't, don't tangle with God. Don't try to lie to God. What good does it do? It's honestly, what good does it do? All he's got to do is ask one simple question. And we're tied up in knots. We, we, I can't answer that. I don't know. Yeah, you do know. But you know what's going to happen if you do answer. So he's got Adam. And so while Adam sat there trying to think and God could see those little wheels spinning in his head, trying to come up with an answer to throw God off the path, 
God just moves on to confront Adam with the truth. He asks him, Adam, did you eat the fruit from the tree that I specifically commanded you to leave alone? And with that, Adam knew that God had figured it all out. He knew. The jig was up. It's over. I can't hide this from him anymore. He's already caught on. He's caught like a kid with his hand in the cookie jar. I love that. My hand was in the cookie jar quite a bit when I was a kid growing up. And if my mom would have caught me, uh, it wouldn't have happened very often because she would have made sure of that. But I always tried to do it, you know, when she wasn't around, which was hard. I managed a few times. And I did get caught occasionally with my hand in the cookie jar, and it wasn't pleasant. And so here's Adam. He's got his hand caught in the cookie jar. Busted. He's busted. And he knows it. Somehow in the midst of, of everything that had transpired as the result of, of disobedience, Adam had become confused about who it was that he had wronged. He had somehow thought that God, his creator, would have trouble in locating him if he covered himself and, and then hid in a thicket of bushes and trees. And then if, if God couldn't find him, you know, he wouldn't know what happened with that forbidden fruit that he'd taken. You know, that's, that's just rationalizing, that's reasoning it out. It sounds, it sounds so silly, but we do the same things. We, we can't help ourselves, we do the same things, no matter how silly it seems. We look at what Adam tried to do, and, and we just shake our head and say, really, Adam, how could, you, how could you be so naive? And we need to remember that situation when we do it because we need to tell ourselves the same thing. Shake your head and say, how in the world could I be so naive to think that I could do this against God who knows everything? When God at last just flat out confronts Adam regarding his disobedience, he was in a roundabout way saying, to Adam, son, it won't do you any good to try to hide what you've done from me. And God is telling us that same thing today. Son, daughter, it's not going to do you any good to try to hide what you've done from me. It's useless for you to believe that by your having covered yourself with that apron made out of leaves that I can no longer see you. Son, to me, you are still just as naked and bare and exposed as you have always been. There's nothing you can do to hide yourself from me. I know you. You can put on whatever you want to put on and try to hide whatever you want to try to hide, but I know you. He knows the heart that still hungers for him. 
We can turn our backs on God and walk away. But he still knows our hearts. He still keeps track of us. He still sees us. Even though we try to put on a good front and we try to hide, we can, try, we can hide from one another. We can do that. But we'll never hide from God. We, we are just as open and exposed to Him as we will always be. That'll never change. It'll never change. And I am thankful to God that He is like that for us. He's telling Adam, no matter what you can try to devise as a plan to fix your problem, you're always going to fall short of succeeding. It'll never be good enough. Your solution to your problem is no solution at all. You think you've got it taken care of, but you really haven't done anything. So Adam knows he's busted. He realizes that the truth's come out and God knows all about it. He knows that he knows all about that stupid piece of fruit that he ate from that stupid forbidden tree. You ever notice that about us? How easily we are able to turn our frustration onto something else after we've made a, a horrible choice and it all went bad. That stupid car, that stupid tree, that stupid knife, that stupid glass, that stupid whatever you fill it in. All of a sudden, everything's stupid. But you know what the response really should be? Stupid me. But everything else is stupid because it's everything else's fault. So how did Adam respond? to what he'd come to realize about God knowing everything that had happened. How did he respond? Well, Adam accepted his guilt. He told God, you're right. You've got me dead to rights. It was, it was me who made a royal mess out of this whole sordid thing. I deserve any punishment that you see fit to place upon me. I'm guilty of abusing your trust, and I want you to know how profoundly sorry I am for doing that to you. I surrender myself completely into your hands and I only hope that you might be able to find it in your heart to forgive me for my transgression against you. It was such a beautiful thing to hear Adam's contrition of heart before God for him to accept the blame and demonstrate such true humility which was indeed refreshing. We read about this exciting moment in Genesis 3.12 so let's go there, let's read this. Genesis chapter 3 verse number 12. It says, and the man said, the woman whom thou gavest to be with me, she gave me of the tree and I did eat. That's the way it should have gone down. That should have been the response. But when we read about the actual account, that is not anywhere near what he said. He didn't say anything at all like that. Instead of him repenting, instead of him throwing himself upon the, the mercy of God, 
we witness the fact that our ancestor Adam became the creator of that famous pastime that we humans love to play so much. It's called the blame game. I've played it. I've blamed everybody else for my problems except accepting it as my own. I've done that. And I'm not sure I won't ever do it again. We like to play games, and that's one of the best ones that we really hold on to is blaming everybody else for why we're where we're at. And you know what that gets us? Nothing. It doesn't make our lives better. It makes them worse. We're going to find out how that affects Adam and Eve later on. Because the blame game never has good results. I want us today to pray as we close out for today. And I want us to ask God to help us to have the moral integrity to admit when we're wrong. That is something that is so hard for us to do. Because it exposes us to other people when they know we do something wrong. And we know how people are because we are people. We know how we are. And we know that when we make mistakes, people are going to look at us differently. Especially people who are supposed to be living for God. Well, you know what? I'm still human. I'm sorry. Believe me, I am sorry. But I'm still human. And this old boy still knows how to make mistakes. I still know how to mess up. I do it pretty good. But if we can just learn how to accept one another, even when we make mistakes, it'll be a whole lot less damaging to us and we'll be more inclined to admit it. If we know they're going to still love me, they're still going to accept me, even when I make mistakes, because that's like God. He still loves us. He still accepts us even when we make mistakes, even when we sin. There's the ugly word. Doesn't matter to God. Come, let us reason together, saith the Lord. Though your sins be as scarlet, they shall be white as snow. Because that's what God is all about. Changing the sin from scarlet to white as snow. Let's pray. My God, we owe you.